Escape Pod 27 November 10th, 2005 Today's story, Iron Bars and the Glass Jaw, by Jeffrey R.D. Rangel Hi, I'm Steve Ely. Welcome to Escape Pod, and if you live in Kansas, I'm very, very sorry. I want to get back to talking about different kinds of genre lines. It's a subject I'd introduced a while ago, and then, as usual, got distracted by some shiny objects. What I had been saying was that there are divisions within the stories we like to read that, in my opinion, make more difference than whether they're science fiction or fantasy. One of these is the world axis. On this line, stories fall into two types of settings. One is stories based in our own world, or a world very similar to ours, except that magic works, or the Nazis won, or people are actually nice to each other. The time could be the present, the past, or the near future, but the characters move in real places, with real reference points. There's a lot of contemporary fantasy that fits this mold, and most science fiction that doesn't happen in space. The other side, of course, is stories based on alien worlds, whether it's Middle-Earth, or Discworld, or Heinlein's Universe Ship, or the Galactic Empire. You get a few stories that straddle the line. Kings and Straub's Talisman comes to mind. And then there are some books that are so surreal you don't know where to put them, like Jasper Ford's series. But mostly you could reshelve the SF part of the bookstore into Our World and Other World categories. What's interesting to me about this is that it doesn't just alter the road signs of the story. Most of the time it affects the size of the story. If you're inventing a world, you're painting with a very broad brush. Your plot's probably going to hit as many parts of the world as you can, and you're going to spend a lot of time describing it. This has consequences. The more words you use explaining what your ring world looks like, the less you have to spend on nuances of character and the human side of your story. You can still do it, and some writers are great at it, but mostly you tend to get big, archetypal characters moving around in your big, archetypal world. Stories in our world tend to have a tighter focus. You don't have to tour your setting. You can just tell us what's different and zoom in on the small details. If you say it's New York with fairies, we can form a mental picture of what it looks like. We trust that your setting is all there, and we can imagine it's a complex world because our world is. And the characters tend to be more complex, more down-to-earth, too. In our world, we don't expect mighty warriors who can slay dragons. We expect people who might be our neighbors. Or if you have superheroes, they're in contrast to the rest of the world. They're not comfortably a part of it. They struggle to fit in, and they say something about us. Last example. Consider the difference between DC Comics, which invented cities like Gotham and Metropolis to fit around its characters, and Marvel, which dropped many of its heroes into New York. Between the two, who gets the easier lives? And that leads us directly to today's story. We're pleased to debut Iron Bars and the Glass Jaw by Jeffrey R. Durego. It's a character struggle set in a world very similar to ours, and the first in a linked series of stories called Union Dues. Mr. Durego lives in New Hampshire. He develops technical training courses, and he's been a columnist for the Manchester Lifestyle paper, The Hippo Press. He also writes film reviews for the website HorrorView.com under the alias Big McLarge Huge. I cannot follow that up with a joke. The story is read for us by Dr. Jonathan Sully Dog Sullivan, 
who assures me that he suffered no permanent larynx damage on our behalf. He's a doctor. I have to take his word for it. Look! Up in the sky! It's a bird! It's a plane! It's story time. Union Dues, Iron Bars in the Glass Jaw by Jeffrey R. Dorigo The goddamn handcuffs are starting to shave my wrists. Not like I couldn't snap them or anything. My name ain't Megaton for nothing. Hell, I could twist these off just by making a couple of fists, knock a nice-sized hole in the wall, too. Then what? Disappear, maybe. I hear Jamaica's nice. I've always wanted to live someplace warm. Freelance, maybe. Or wrestle. I could get by. How you doing in there, buddy? Just fine, officer. Of course it's not. The cell is 12 feet deep by 7 high and wide. I can barely sit without touching at least two walls in the ceiling. Has there been any word from the Union yet? Shut up, son. It's better if you just don't talk. I can't get too wrapped up in this little inconvenience. Just be cool, Megaton. Once the Union gets here, this whole mess will just disappear. Well... Until the Union Tribunal. But that's going to be a cinch. It always seems much less complicated during, but that's almost always the case, isn't it? I should have figured the kid was strapped. Didn't know what he was doing. I should have tried harder to defuse the situation before things went physical. Can't live in the past, though, no matter how recent. I should have anticipated he'd take a swing, that he was unstable but the size stuff ain't my job. I'm the heavy equipment, the muscle. I throw buses and catch falling satellites. At least the sheriff can't unmask me. Union charter forbids it. Something about compromising the integrity of the group. If the world knew who we were, they'd know where we came from, and that would put the families and communities we left behind in danger. Worse, it could open up a whole new world of exploitation. Real people are corruptible. But we characters, we're a little more than attractions, and no one wants to exploit an attraction, right? Imagine me, or someone like Kinetic Girl pitching sneakers or soda. The union says good money isn't necessarily good business. You super folks must think we're pretty damn foolish, especially us in the law enforcement community. Look at him, leaning back with his feet up on the desk. Did he just walk out of cool hand, Luke? Shh. You'd think a sheriff would want to be more dignified. No, sir. You and your brethren are integral to the fabric of society. We of the Union are grateful for your hard work and courage. I can rattle that sort of crap off all day long. But the truth is, I kind of feel sorry for him being overweight, old, under-equipped to deal with life in these United States. It's rare enough for him to be a municipal employee, too, since most of the states have sold off their law enforcement to private contractors like Inner City, and even their flat feet get three times his pay. At least he has the guts to say he doesn't like me to my face, which is more than I can say about most of the Inner City goons I've worked around. Sheriff! What? If I promise not to cause any problems, could you... Remove these cuffs for me. Maybe if I smile when I ask. What kind of idiot do you take me for, son? 
I know you and Uriel could just walk up to those bars and bend them open. The charter prevents me from doing that. You must have a copy around here somewhere. Doesn't everyone? He's afraid, but he hides it well. And I don't blame him. He probably only knows me from the comic books and Saturday morning cartoons. They play me a little too aggressive, really. Sometimes it's hard to live up to the image. Don't have a copy. You just have to sit there like that. But tell me something. This is better. Squeeze my fists a bit and feel the ratchet pop apart. But the cuffs stay on. He won't know until it's time for me to walk out of here, and by then there isn't a thing he can do. Certainly, Sheriff. How'd you end up like you are? Surgery or some freak medical experiment? I guess that's a rational question. My yellow-on-black, copyrighted, branded, union-sponsored, marketing, team-designed uniform is torn, showing skin and scars through the armor gel and spandex. No, Sheriff, nothing like that. I just woke up one day and I was super strong. It just happens. No one knows why. At least, I don't know why, and Union isn't telling me if they do know. It's an honor to meet a fellow patriot. Union approved script 3, subparagraph 15. Verbal contingency for temporary detainment by normal law enforcement. I know it by heart. We all do. They plant the whole thing into our brains while we sleep during initial training. The words are tattooed into my synapses. I never understood why we needed to know it, though. Well, until now. The Union doesn't want us mixing with the normals in any uncontrolled situation. The Union Charter has held steady for better than 50 years now, and it seems to keep things nice and regular for them and for us. Present situation accepted, of course. Man, if I could do this all over again. Shipped to the middle of nowhere, population who friggin' knows, to evaluate and apprehend a freelancer that turned out to be a smart kid with a homemade exoskeleton-type supersuit. Kid packed a hell of a punch, though. A wicked one. And he was quick. Probably bruised a couple of my ribs. What do you know about patriotism? Dropping in here from some passing jet, calling out a kid who's done more around here for us than you union types ever did. What did he get for his trouble? Dead. He got dead. It wasn't my fault. We thought he was freelancing. He swung first. Don't you give me that. You know what he was doing with that gorilla suit of his? He was helping people here. Saved a family from a house fire a few weeks back. Helped build a dam before that. MIT wanted him bad, but he wouldn't leave. Joey. His name was Joey Fitzsimmons. He wanted to stay here for us to make things easier for us. He understood sacrifice and patriotism better than you or your kind ever will. He turned down his future for our present. And that, my flashy friend, is patriotism. Now am I any different? Don't I fight to protect this country and all who live within? Put my life on the line for all of you? I could have bowed out and run away. Or said no to the Union and headed off to the village where I wouldn't be a problem for them or for you. But I didn't. I chose to serve. Save for the memoir, boy. Means nothing to me. I've met a million guys like you. Chose to serve? Baloney. 
We never asked you to do anything. Tell me this then. How many purse snatchings have you stopped? What? How many purse snatchings have you stopped, personally? I can't answer that. Not that I could give them a number other than zero, anyway. How many muggins, burglaries, or murders have you prevented? I know where this is going, and I don't like it one bit. We aren't a government agency. The union isn't law enforcement. We intervene only... Only what? Only when you normals fail. See here now, that's, that's what I mean. Union claims to act as a sort of shepherd to us lowly regular folk. Makes big production numbers out of natural disasters. Things we don't have control over anyway. I have to live with the petty crime, the burglaries, the purse snatchings, the rape, child abuse, car wrecks, million other things more dangerous society than earthquakes. Patriotism begins when people take enough concern in their own home to affect change that benefits everyone around them, regardless of the situation. You and your overdressed friends hole up in those pyramids and just let the rest of the world pass on by, oblivious to that crap that goes on just outside your fence. But that crap is the stuff that really makes life difficult for the majority. You'd rather we ran things then? At least you normals are the masters of your own destiny. You can either be a good person or a bad person. You can be happy or you can be depressed. You can stay home and watch TV or go out and kill someone. We don't have that luxury. And if we really wanted to, we could take that luxury away from you. Fair enough. But I think you'd find we were a pretty unruly bunch. He's pouring coffee. Man, what I wouldn't do for a cup of that right about now. We were all part of that bunch once, Sheriff. It's not like we came down in a spaceship and decided to be superheroes, you know. We were all normals before. Where are you from, Megaton? I'm from the Chicago Pyramid. No, son. I mean before all this union business. You know I can't answer that. The Union Charter is supposed to forbid him from even asking. And if I wanted to make a war out of this whole thing, he just gave me the ammunition. But you know, if we truly serve the normals, then why can't I choose to share my life before I was known only as a super strong man in a costume? Because the Union says you can't? Or because you don't want to? Because the Union forbids it, Sheriff. He certainly can keep an argument going. I'll give him that. Why doesn't he just buy the comic book like everyone else does? We all have carefully crafted origin stories that form the basis of our character. And just to make sure no one forgets, they get retold in the comic titles at least once every two years. Helps keep things fresh for the new readers. So so what you're saying is... Now, <laughs> let, let me paraphrase. The Union is my protector. Me, right here on the other side of these bars, and I can't even ask you during casual conversation for your real, actual name, where you were born, where you went to school, none of that. But if it's me you serve, then shouldn't I know these things? Look at me, Megaton. 
I am sheriff in this town, and I wear my name right here on my uniform so everyone knows who they're dealing with, whether someone needs a cat taken down from a tree or someone I'm arresting for murder. Everyone in town knows me, knows where I went to school, knows who my mother was, on what street I grew up. Hell, everyone knows what house I live in now. Circumstances are different for us. We aren't afforded the luxury of serving a home district. None of us have been home since we joined the Union. The pyramids are our homes now, and the cities that host them are our neighborhoods. Sounds terrible. Imagine being as well-known as you folks and still being virtually invisible. Can't even walk down the street to get a cup of coffee on a cool spring afternoon. It's not so bad. Isn't it? I bet you wish you could see your mom again. What was she like? Drop it, Sheriff. Touched a nerve there, huh? I clenched my fists again. This time the cuffs spring off and clatter to the floor by the bars. Oops. Bent steel in his bare hands. Changed the course of mighty rivers. Yeah, yeah, spare me the nostalgia. If I'd known a question so simple would have riled you up, son, I wouldn't have wasted all this time. I was beginning to wonder if you'd say something to me with your own mouth. You want a cup of coffee? We aren't supposed to take gifts, even medical care from the normals. But I won't ever turn down coffee. I'd love one, Sheriff. Milk and sugar? Please. Imagine what the tribunal would say if they knew I was having coffee with a normal, let alone my captor. They'd ship me to the village as quickly as I could pack. Sheriff. Eh? I was a defensive linebacker in high school. I manifested over a couple of weeks right at the beginning of the season. First it was subtle. I was a little stronger. I could bench a little more than the other kids. Then more still. I started gaining weight. A lot of weight. That how it happens with all you folks? It seems to be very common for us. The mind readers tend to develop earliest. Some as young as 11 or 12. Then we, super strong, a little older, tend to be super agile. And finally the oldest are super strategic thinkers. How old were you? 15. In the heat of a game, third quarter, 40 yard line. I tore off another kid's leg. I didn't do it on purpose or anything. It just sort of happened. The story was all over the local papers. The kids sued the school and my family. In the middle of all this, the union showed up, settled with the family and the schools. Two days later, I was shipped off for training. He hands me the coffee through the bars. The cup is tiny. But then I have baseball mitt-sized hands. It's warm. Can't drink it through the helmet and the mask. Turn my back well as I can. Hope he isn't offended. I peel the lower half of the mask back and drink. The coffee is bitter, even with the milk and sugar, but still a welcome comfort. I hand the empty cup back through the bars just as the phone rings. Great. Can't see or hear him from here now. It has to be the Union. I shouldn't have been left here this long. 
I wonder who they'll send to pick me up. Probably one of the spooks from special services. That was your friends. They wanted me to spring you ASAP, but... I don't like the sound of that. But what? But, we have a bunch of forms to sign here before I turn you over to their custody. One of your friends will be here within the hour. Till then, we can just sit and talk. Great. Wonderful. You know, I could just walk out of here. And there isn't a damn thing you or anybody else in this flyspeck little nowhere could even do to slow me down, right? Yeah. And I know something else, too. Oh, good. He's right up against the bars, daring me to reach through and use him as a skeleton key. Yeah, what? I know you won't. Because just like me, you have rules to follow. One of your rules states that until some other costumed wonder signs for your release, you can't leave. He's right, but I don't want to admit it. Same as anyone else in one of these little cells, Sheriff. No. Someone else in that cell will be waiting for a lawyer. And then to be put into the judicial system proper. You get to just walk away. If it was me who killed that boy, you can guarantee I'd be in there a hell of a lot longer than you can even imagine. But then, I'm a normal. I'd heard stories about growing contempt among the normals, but never gave it much thought, really. I mean, who can be upset that superheroes are ever vigilant to protect humanity from the worst of circumstances? But that's not it at all. It's fairness, and maybe a little jealousy. So, Sheriff, you'd rather I was locked up like some common thug, shunted off to a supermax prison, run through the legal system at taxpayer expense. Would any of that bring the kid back? Don't you talk about him as some abstract. He's not an abstract. He was a person. A human being. He was a human being who should have known better than to dress himself up like one of us. He should have known better than to take a swing at me. He was a boy. He was a threat. That probably wasn't the best choice of words. But I can't take them back now. You know what's wrong with you people? Jeez. I might have to smash my way out of here just to get away from his incessant needling. You guys think you're better than everyone else. We are better. Then why don't you do better? I wish there was enough space in the cell to turn my back on him. Are you a firefighter, Sheriff? Huh? What? Oh, that caught him off guard. Good. It's about time I gained a little bit of advantage here. Let me say it slow so you don't miss anything. Do. You. Fight. Fires. No! Do you think the fire department wants you to leap in at the next house fire and grab a hose? Uh, I don't think... He didn't answer so fast this time. You'd probably be a liability, right? You might put the whole system in jeopardy. You might even cause some of the other actual firefighters to be hurt or killed. Worse and longer lasting, the sheriff's department and the fire department who compete for resources would probably be adversarial until someone demanded that you be removed from duty 
to prevent your meddling outside your jurisdiction. I don't know where that example came from. Sort of like it just appeared there in my mind. Maybe the union implanted that too, just in case something like this happened to one of us. We aren't any different in that respect, Sheriff. We help when we are needed, and only when we are needed. That way everyone stays happy. There isn't a precinct in the United States that wants to deal with us meddling in their law enforcement activities, just like there isn't a fire department here in town that wants you messing around with their apparatus during a four-alarm fire. Of course, there are always situations where the cops or firemen need us, and they ask, and we come, and help but we don't do so without an invitation. Because you're all glory, Hounds. It has nothing to do with glory and everything to do with practicality. We do what we do when we do it, only when it's best for both of us. And what if that four-alarm fire spreads and there aren't enough hose-wielding men to keep the flames in check? I have a stake in this here town, so in a situation like that, I grab a hose and damn the consequences. We have a condition known as catastrophic urgency, when most of the terms of the charter go out the window and we do whatever is necessary to bring the situation under control. So far, though, such an event has never happened. Catastrophic urgency is the worst-case scenario. We plan for it, anticipate it, practice situations where it occurs, but we hope it never happens. Amazingly, Sheriff Tom shuts up for a few minutes, but it won't last. He won't simply accept that the charter is what it is, and arguing about it won't change even a syllable. How'd you end up like this? Haven't we been through this enough already today? Can't we just agree to disagree? I'll be out of your hair soon enough. I don't mean in jail. I mean, how you are. You know, considering all the crap between us today, I don't dislike you. Well, hooray. Like I care. Can't say that, though. I'm glad we could come to an understanding, Sheriff. I don't dislike you. I feel sorry for you. Even better. Maybe if I just sit here and say nothing. I was at least allowed to choose to do what I do. Hey, I recognize that whooshing sound. Someone's here. I can finally get the hell out of this little nowhere on the edge of nothing. Yep, the telltale double thump of the jump jet legs hitting dry ground. Sheriff Tom can't unlock this damn cage fast enough. Your stuff is in the tub. The bars seem narrower than when I first squeezed in here. But I don't care. I'm out. I'm free. I slap all the extemporaneous junk back on. Comlink bracelet and tracking beacon, yellow cape impregnated with Teflon, telemetry monitor gauntlet, and belt. I feel fully dressed at last. Megaton. I know that voice. Darksider. Great. I'm bound to get a lecture all the way back and then some. I wonder if he's related to Sheriff Tom. They treat you okay? Sure. Man, Darksider has the coolest costume. Slick and black with a silver skull mask and billowing black cape. Almost impossibly black. 
His look just screams authority. Thank you, Sheriff. Sorry for the trouble. One of the union lawyers will be in contact within the week to discuss remedying today's unpleasantness. I shove past them both into the dry heat of the plains. The jet looks out of place there on the edge of this tiny one-road town. There's a hand on my shoulder. Dark cider. We're in the plane and the air conditioner washes over the tears in my costume. I'm cool for the first time today. Get us out of here, man. There's a short, violent bump, and we're airborne. What did you talk about, Megaton? Great. The debriefing begins now. Never trust Union Special Services to be subtle. He spent the whole time razzing me about the kid's death. You know, the usual crap. Ungrateful. The normals are like that most of the time. But it's not their fault. They don't understand. Darksiders wrong there. Sheriff Tom understood us better than I thought, and if there were more like him with a real grudge and some power, then the Union could be in for a rough time. But it would take a hell of a lot of money and influence to even bruise the Union. He said he pitied us. Me. Interesting. Usually they want our backsides when we screw up. Especially when we screw up, or just in general. Now I wonder if my comlink wasn't on the whole time there, sitting in that bin and broadcasting my interrogation, all the way back to the Chicago Pyramid and Union Special Services. Great. Something new to worry about. When we screw up, mostly. Dealing with the normals is only one part of the dues. Darksiders' flair for cryptic speech is even more annoying than Sheriff Tom's questions. Yeah? What's the other part? Not running things, solely because we can. Ease the seat back and close my eyes. Darksider blathers on, but I don't listen closely enough through the engine noise to make conversation. Just catch a little nap on the way back. And maybe think about football. And that was our story. I debated the sheriff, but I won't dispute the deputy. As I mentioned at the beginning, the story was the first part of Durego's Union Dues series. We'll definitely be presenting at least one more in that series. Beyond that, the future's wide open, so I'd love to know what you think of this story. You can leave feedback at escapepod.org, on the blog, or in our discussion forums there. Hi. This is Mer Lafferty from GeekFu Action Grip. I'd like to take a break from this excellent podcast to tell you about Hurricane Katrina. Well, it's very likely you already know about Hurricane Katrina. But what you may not know, and what may interest you, is that in the wake of the disaster, several professionals from the RPG industry, including writers, editors, illustrators, and layout, got together and wrote a book. Beyond the Storm, Shadows of the Big Easy, is a collection of short stories, essays, art, and role-playing game materials inspired by the culture, landscape, and city of New Orleans. With contributions from three continents and from across the spectrum of role-playing, the book has all proceeds from the sale going to support Katrina Disaster Relief. Join the authors and artists as they explore the Big Easy as it could have been and how it might be in the future. 
Beyond the Storm is now available for purchase in PDF and print formats. You can check it out at lulu.com or beyondthestorm.us. Thanks, Mur. I think the book's a great idea. If you're a gamer looking for setting material, you should definitely check it out. And if you're not, you should still find plenty of great writing in there. Our featured listener this week is Eric. I will not dare to attempt his last name. He's French, with Corsican heritage, who used to live in California and is now a software engineer in Surrey, England. I'm sure that exact combination can apply to thousands of people, but Eric's the one who listens to a skate pod in his motorcycle helmet while commuting to and from work. After my first response, whoa, that's cool, this made him my favorite resource to ask about our volume levels. He tells me they're usually pretty good, and that he only has to adjust when he's speeding up or slowing down, which he does with the wireless iPod remote he's attached to his handlebars. Eric, you rock. If any of you would like to rock too, it's a proven scientific fact that the easiest way to rock is to help spread the word about Escape Pod. Tell a friend, or blog about us, or write our URL in the snow. Whatever works for you. You can also rock, should you wish to, by clicking on the PayPal link at our website, escapepod.org. We rely on your support to pay our authors, and keep Escape Pod what it is. Speaking of what it is, I heard a very interesting supposition this week from Jesse Willis of the terrific website sffaudio.com. He told me that, to the best of his knowledge, EscapePod is already the largest repository of free audio fiction on the internet. This blew my mind, since I didn't think it could be possible so soon, but I couldn't find counterexamples when I went looking. Project Gutenberg qualifies if you count computer-generated audio, but after listening to a couple, I decided it wasn't the same thing. I'd love to use this as a brag point, but I want to be more confident in it first. So if any of you know of other audio sites offering as many or more short stories or novels, please let me know. I'd also like to link to any other audio sites, just for the sake of community. And this, of course, is possible because we release under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. This keeps our authors happy because it guarantees that their name gets out and their work stays intact. And we hope it keeps you happy because you can copy and share our work all you want absolutely free. This is how we meet our goal of bringing fun science fiction and fantasy to as many people as possible. Our music comes to us by permission of Daikaiju. Their goal is to put the fun back into instrumental Japanese-inspired monster surf metal. Man, you won't believe how stiff and dusty that genre was before they came along. Thank you for saving us, Daikaiju. And that was our show. I hope you enjoyed it. Our closing thought is one I ripped off from the dragon page winging it, and it struck me so much I almost want to go and make a bumper sticker. They laugh at us because we're different. We laugh at them because they're all the same. We'll see you next week. Have fun. <laughs>